Dr. Malachi Z. York have devoted his visit to this planet to the resurrection of the mentally dead, which he affectionately referred to it as mummies. Never did he know that the evil one had done such a great job with these people, both mentally and physically, as to have them hate self and kind. His greatest dilemma and hindrance has been the black devil, born amongst you and by you, married to you, socializing with you, praying in the same sacred houses of worship as you. But secretly, they have a spiritual pact with the devil, which makes it near impossible for them to total surrender to Nawapu. But for the few chosen from the many calls, he sifts to find those beings that wish to become one with the Supreme in all. So he, the Supreme Grand Harifant, Amun Nebi, Red Akata, as known throughout the mystical schools, the incarnation of Tehuti, Thoth, student of the great tomb known as Atumre, the first point of resurrection from ignorance, to the right knowledge, the right wisdom, and the right understanding. Dr. Malachi New York has blended in with each of the religions most interesting to his people. He has lived as one of them, practiced as one of them, in order to reveal the misconceptions of these doctrines that have plagued and diseased the minds of his people. Among the Arabs of al-Islam in the degree of Mohammedism, he was known as Asayyad Isa al-Hadi al-Mati, or simply Imam Isa. Being fluent in the many dialects as well as the classical Arabic language, he translated word for word without biasness in favor of the Islamic religion, the Quran, from Syriac Arabic into English. He sat beneath the great Shahuf as a student, one of which was Mahmud Muhammad Mahmud, and the great master, Karama Shak al-Husan of the Kalawatiya order of Sufis out of Sudan, as a Mahdiya or Ansar. As a Moorish American, under Noble Jew Ali as M. York L., he republished and revised the Holy Quran, Circle 7. Their connection with the NOI, Nation of Islam, known as the Black Muslims, encouraged him to do an in-depth study of the teachings of Master W.D. Fard, a law in person, to his final messenger, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. He released several books explaining in depth their doctrine, which led him to another ex-member of the Nation of Islam called Clarence 13X, a self-styled Allah who founded the 5% Nation of Gods and Goddesses. Dr. York collected data and published the Problem Book their interpretation of the English class lessons of the nation of Islam. Amongst the Hebrew Israelites, while in the degree of Mosesism, he was known as Rabboni Yahshua Bar El-Hadi. As a Hebrew, he was bar mitzvahed by the great Rabbi Matthews of Harlem. Through the school of Judaism, he translated the Torah and the Psalms from the ancient Hebrew into English. Amongst the Christians, in the degree of Christism, he was known as Reverend Malachi D. York, or Dr. York, pastor and founder of the Egyptian Church of Karath, Christ, through the school of Christism. He translated and explained the book of Revelation from Galilean Arabic and the ancient Greek. In this day and time, he received the new holy tablet, our own scripture that each day, as scientists, astronomers, and the like, uncover new evidence confirming that it was indeed divinely inspired. And it's not merely a book, but a revelation, a holy scripture, with prophecies of the future which are manifesting daily. Also, he translated the book of the coming forth by day, called the Egyptian Book of the Dead, from hieroglyphics as Amanubira Akata. He also released a series of books called Behind the Nine Ball, and Bible interpretations and explanations. He felt it was his duty as the true reformer and savior to his people to make that which is unclear, clear. 
He have also revealed the doctrine of those called the Hebrew Israelites and the like with a series of books called 360 Questions to Ask and three volumes of over 1,000 pages, each entitled The Degree of Mosesism, The Degree of Christism, and Degree of Mohammedism, covering any question that anyone could have pertaining to any of the three monotheistic religions. He has also traveled the rough and rugged path of Freemasonry and have arrived at the Imperial Grand Potentate internationally of the ancient Arabic and Oriental order, nobles of the mystic shrine, New Mecca Temple, number 11, and IGP of AEO and NMS, al Temple, northern and southern jurisdiction, the worshipful master of Nuwabian Grand Lodge, AF and AM, also Deputy Grand Master Pride of Georgia Grand Lodge, AF and AM, 33rd Scottish Rite Freemason of Amos Grand Lodge of Macon, Georgia. He entered the Order of the Acacia under the most worshipful master, the illustrious Charles Tinsley, 33rd degree at King Solomon's Lodge, number four of Brooklyn, New York, the Grand Enoch Lodge in Brooklyn, New York, on Putnam and Nostrum Avenue, Prince Hall affiliated, and of the ancient and accepted Scottish Rite Freemasonry, AF and AM jurisdiction of Georgia, called Zerubbabel, Grand Chapter, Royal Arch, Mason, United States and Canada. His travels took him throughout the world from sitting with the mystics and the monks under the Tibetan master Lama Mutkukuma of China to the Grand Lodge in Cairo, Egypt, Northeast Africa to being a member of the Rosicrucian Order since 1974 as well as Astara Mystic Order since 1975 AD for more than 25 years. As the Supreme Grand Hierophant of the Ancient Egyptian Order, AEO, Mir number 9, his family has been Freemasons for generations in Virginia's then Shriners Temple number 122 Newport News, Virginia, and Daughters of Isis, Zen Court, number 98, Prince Hall affiliated. He stepped on to the White Lodge Freemasonry from the black Egyptian mystery as Tehuti, Thoth, called Hermes, thrice times great, the possessor of the master's key, keeper of the secret word to become a Haru, Horus, a companion of the great Hierophant, I am Hotep, the scribe of the secret doctrine, conferrer of the 720 degrees in the secret number 9 and the guardian of the ninth gate, raising from the ninth chamber the secret, which will give you the power to rely on yourselves. He was there, which is here, when the word, let there be light, was uttered. He has stood the test of time. He has been questioned by scholars and historians of all religions and denominations. Dr. Malachi Z. York is capable of answering the unanswered and solving the problems of the world. Yet, his personal interest is in each and every one of you. He says, I am not a holy man or a preacher. I am a master teacher. He have resurrected in the West the ancient fraternity, AEO, with healing in his wings, the spiritual order of our ancestors, the Egyptians, and your true bloodline under the reincarnation of Natir Amanubidu Akatar, your Aferti, Pharaoh, for this day and time, Atumre. He have experienced all the religions and sacred orders, and now bring you the ancient Egyptian order, AEO, the true order of the Egyptians, that which gave birth to all others, and in this day and time has become the fastest growing movement for world peace of the new millennium. You have found your way to that which you have sought all your life. And now, I introduce to you the man of the hour, Dr. Malachi Z. York. Let's have 
وحده لا شريك له الحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله الوالي الكريم وصلى الله على انبياء اجمعين والمسيح والمحسي والمجدد لمن مرسلين اما بعد Are we not the bearers of witness that nothing would exist if Allah didn't create it? And that He is alone and has no part? And that all gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the sustainer of all the boundless universes? All gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the generous eternal friend, and send salutations of Allah on all of His prophets and His apostles, and on the Messiah, the anointed one. And on the Mahdi, the God, and on the Mujaddid, the Reform, which was all sent from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. We send greetings and we send peace throughout the boundless universe to all. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi taala wa barakatuh. The man of the hour, airing seven days a week at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. On WGAG Radio. Radio. Well, the fact that I didn't understand was he didn't come to the physical plane. The closer he comes to the physical plane, it says the more evil he generates. What does that mean in relation to the time we're in now? I was speaking last night, and I explained to them the devil had total control. It's a frightening situation. He had the world under control, presently. It's not about Satan himself being here. He's taking lead. He's out of reach. He has to be baited again and brought back. You cannot totally eliminate him ever. You follow that? Only Allah can do that. We can. We can. We can bind him like Solomon did and like Allah did to Job. But he is now out of reach because we here have given him the glory. You have given Satan his glory by worshiping his image, his likeness, and everything you do. You want to look like white people, you want to act like them, you've given him his glory, and he's in power. The master himself, as they call him, of Zazun, the wicked devil, cursed him, has no need to reside here. He's gone because you're doing a good enough job. The only way to get him is, if you all would read Job chapter 1, you'll see how we have got to get the devil. Let's go on and see. Do you have the time to hear it? Yeah. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. You're going to watch a plot, a plan by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because during the period of Job, the devil was rampant in the earth the way he is today. And this is why the Almighty set up the plot of Job. Nobody on this plane knows who wrote the book of Job. None of your scholars have been able to find out who wrote the book of Job. All right? Now, if story, we call him Ayub in Arabic. So let me read on. This Job person and his story was a whole plot to trap the devil. And let me show you how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did it. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared the Almighty and is pure the devil. You understand about the man's nature now? Man Job was a righteous man and he feared the creator of the heavens and earth and the devil couldn't touch him. The devil wouldn't, couldn't get him. Okay? That's pure the devil. That's what it means. The avoid the devil. Number two. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. You see the perfect number seven? His substance also was seven thousand sheep and three thousand camels, and five hundred yoke and oxen, and five hundred sheep, and a very great household. 
so that this man was the greatest of all men in the East. See what they're saying about him? He was wealthy, he was a happy father, and he was a righteous man who feared the Almighty, and the devil could not get next to him. This is a bait for the devil being set. You understand? How many people in that room can claim that prosperity? Total comfort and convenience, your family's healthy, your kids are there, you have all the wealth you need, and you fear the Almighty worshiping him day and night. And the devil never tempts you, can't get to you. You see? Number four. And his son went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. Festivity. And it was so. When the days of their feasting were going about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered a burnt offering according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed the Almighty in their hearts. Thus did Job continue. Not only did he, did he was he righteous and prayed for himself, but according to Judaic tradition, a sacrifice against sin, he made sure that in case anybody in his house did wrong, he was up every day to worship the Lord and a sacrifice for his children. To keep that house pure, unadulterated in any way. You understand? Let's go on. Now there was a day, and here's the plot being set. Now there was a day when the son of the creator, meaning the angel, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also amongst them. Notice he only came amongst them this time. He's not testifying nothing or proclaiming nothing. Now, how do you know these sons of God are angels? Because Lucifer was an angel before he saw from grace, right? So he was in the midst of them comfortably as an angel when he was called before the throne of the Most High. Keep up with the plot now. Number seven is the most important number. And the Lord said unto Satan, Where cometh thou? Where did you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. The devil was boasting about what he was doing in the world. He told the Almighty, I just came from walking to and fro in the earth, and up and down doing my thing. He said, that's the devil that works, talking about what he's doing. Now what does the, the Almighty say? And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant, Job? See how he's setting for the plot? He don't catch the plot yet, but what? The devil just told the Almighty, Heavenly Father, that he was walking up down the earth doing his judgment, and the Almighty pointed his finger at a righteous man and said, Go get him. <laughs> Have thou considered my servant, Job? That is how he sets the plot. That there is none like him in the earth. So what did he tell the devil? All the other people you have are not worth Job. You want him because he's righteous. That's who you really want. These other people, they're just going to pop in and hang it out in the streets. You don't need them. They don't count. You already got them worshiping you. You need those people in that tabernacle over there. That's the ones you want to tempt. But get those people in the street. They'll follow you. They worship you. They believe in you. This is the Lord is telling them. That there is none like him in the earth. A perfect and an upright man. One that feareth God and is pure to death. <laughs> you, see this? you see it again? He repeated it again. The guy that is the guy that you want. But you trust. He assures you. He avoids you. You can't get him. Watch it happen to nine. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Paul fear God for naught? Doesn't he have a reason why he fears you? Because the devil tends to believe that everything is done through bargain and exchange. That's how he works, through bargain and exchange. And this is what people do to each other. They don't want to do nothing for you for nothing. 
That's why I said y'all gotta live more by and by giving, stop living by taking. Everybody does something. The best thing you say is someone helps you. There must be a reason why you're doing it. You wouldn't be helping me for nothing. And that's how people think? That's the devil's thinking. The devil turned to the Almighty and said, in number nine, then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for naught? Doesn't he have a reason why he fears you, God? Ten. Has not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he has on every side? Then you got a covenant, something protecting him. Isn't he in your shield? Thou has blessed the work of his hand. That means you made him very rich because he worked for it. He didn't just come by it. Worked by the sweat of your brow. He worked for it with his hand. And his substance is increased in the land. Because he went out and worked, the substance is increased. He has a lot. You protect him. That's why he fears you. You gave him a lot of wealth. You made him just comfortable. You gave him all the things he had. But watch. 11. But put all thine hand now and touch all that he has. And he will curse thee to thy face. Now the devil is baited. He just bit the hook. Because he put the Almighty to question. You see? <laughs> the Almighty put forth a perfect man to take the devil's attention off the rest of the world. You understand that? And now the devil just bit the hook. He said, if you take away your guidance, he'll turn against you. Ain't that the question? Isn't that us again? As long as the light shines on you, the Quran says, you walk in it. But as soon as it gets dark, you thrust your fingers in your hair out of fear, and you turn away from Allah. Put your, you put your trust in other things. As long as things look good, I mean, you're smiling. As soon as things don't go your way, you curse the heavens, you damn God, and turn your way. When people lay on hospital beds, they become the most religious people in the world. Oh God, just get me well. I'll be righteous. I'll do this. I'll do that. As soon as they're on their two feet and standing again, they forget all the promises, all the covenants. When your baby is ill and they, lay, they stand over that baby crying and caressing it, but God, please make my baby healthy again. I promise I'll do good. I'll do righteous. And when the baby's well again, they're slapping the baby outside the head and forgot all about the covenant. So the devil has just bit the baby. But put them by hand now and touch all that he has. See that? The devil says, take away all the stuff he got, not him. Take it all away from him, and what will happen? And he will curse thee to thy face. Now that's the bait. The devil just bit the hook. In 12, the Lord says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. <laughs> you see that? Only upon himself put not thine hand. See that? Now the Lord got the devil's full attention on one righteous man and give the world a chance to evolve into righteousness again. The importance, the importance of Job. Everybody always asks, what is the story and the importance of Job? Remember this question? Well, here's the answer. Job's story was a bait that trapped the devil the way Solomon trapped him with his seal. Now, does the devil get trapped? Yes or no? Is the question. Don't get too happy. We go on. So Satan, now watch this. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. He left the heavens and came back to earth again. 
was a day when his son and his daughter were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they are slain by servants with the edge of a sword, and only I escape to tell you. <laughs> Who is this talking? This is the devil talking. <laughs> he caught Job and said, Job, because the most the Almighty gave him power to touch Job's stuff. Right? Say, Job, uh, the Sabians, I know who they are, came down and killed the servants and took your flock. And I escaped to let you know about it. He stopped to look at Job's face to see if Job would curse the Almighty like you would do when you get mad. Did he? Let's see what happened. <laughs> I said alone, escape to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God is falling from heaven. Now he's going to blame me like God. <laughs> and has burnt up the sheep and thy servants and consumed them. And I only have escaped alone to tell thee. The devil has come again. Another devil right in front of him. One of his helpers. To say, now God did it. The two reasons have changed. First of all, you see what's happening right here? Let's go again. While he was yet speaking, there came forth to another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and have slain the servants with the edge of a sword, and I only am escaped to tell thee. <laughs> you see what happened? The devils are coming from all sides trying to shake Job. Again, 19, and behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. See, I keep you thinking so. <laughs> then Job arose. Now the devil's happy. He's waiting to see a response to see what Job is going to do here. Then Job arose and went, took me, took his mantle. He put his robe on and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. Paul went and made guffle <laughs> and went and made raka to Allah. Fell on his face and he prayed. The devil now is totally baffled. Because Job did not respond the way he was supposed to. The way you would have. You would have ran to see about the flock and ran to check on your kids and ran in every different direction, yelling and screaming, Oh God, what happened? What did I do? And weeping and wailing, lamenting and moaning and complaining. But did Job do that? No, because Job, like the, like the beginning of the chapter said, was what? 
a perfect man. He was set there to set a trap for the devil. Let's go on and see what happens. And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return to the the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly, nor did he accuse God for it. Now watch that the next chapter begins, too. Again, now the devil just got hooked to do that, right? Now here's what happens the next time. And again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Sons of God are who? Who are they, y'all? And now see what happened. And Satan came among them doing what? Presenting himself before the Lord. He didn't do that the last time, you know. He just was amongst them before. This time he came for presenting himself, came for with a proclamation of something he wanted to say or do. You see that? And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? That there is none like him in the earth, a perfect man, an upright, obscure the devil, fair God. And still, he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest, see that, me against him, to destroy him without cause. See where he told him? He told the devil right on the spot. He said, Job still held on to his faith, even though you used me to try to destroy him. This is, and Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, yea, all that a man has will he give for his life. But now he wants to go further, because he thought it, when he took Job's things, it didn't affect Job. Now the devil wants the right to touch physically. The only thing man has worth anything is his own life. Let me have, let me tempt that. Put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. And he, I'm sorry, Satan says, and he shall curse thee to thy face. Now that the devil failed in, in affecting Job by removing all his worldly things, now he's saying, Affect Job physically, and I bet you he'll curse him. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown, to his head. Now, this chapter will go on, but I want you all to read it. The first chapter is a duplicate of the second chapter. And I want you to see that Job had, by way of the Most High, in fact, it says in 3.23, 3, 
Why is life given unto man whose way is his and whom God has hedged in? You find that it was a woman, the wife of Job, that let the devil back in. She'll tell him. I'm not talking about women because the woman could have been a man. She'll tell Job to turn away from God, curse him. And get all your things, your belongings back at the end of it. Now, what were we talking about? We were talking about this day and time and the messages of Jesus, the Messiah to the world, the day and time you're in, how powerful the devil is, and what he's doing. Well, the devil has got the world by a grip right now. Christians can't do nothing about it because they worship him. They call him Zeus. He just added Jesus. That was not the Messiah's name. You ask a Christian, what was the name of Jesus? They'll say Jesus. And then they'll say that Jesus means the Savior. Right? Therefore, that's not a name. That's a title. If you say Christ, you say Christ, Christos, or Messiah, or Messiah, Means the anointed. That is also a title, not a name. Emmanuel, meaning God with us, they say, which really means the strength of the Most High in faith. That is also a title. They don't even know his name. Yet he says, Our Father who art in heaven, holy be thy name. They don't even know the name of the very man that they claim to worship because they refuse to read the book of Moses which is what Jesus told them to do in St. John when he said the law came from Moses but grace and truth came from him I did not come to change but to fulfill he said the law of Moses not one jot nor one tittle one letter yet or one dot look there will fall from this scripture until the kingdom has come. All these things he told them, but they maliciously and willfully become antichrist. Turn against what Jesus taught, as I said earlier, to what Paul taught, who hated Jesus, and wrote most of the books in what they call the New Testament. The only book in this Bible of what you call the New Testament that is attributed to Jesus, as I said many times, is the book of Revelation. Every other one is a letter or a gospel according to the person whose name is there. And most of them never even understood what Jesus was teaching because he said, there are many things I have to say unto you, however you can't bear them yet. He told them they were not ready. But these people have gone on and made a religion around an incomplete doctrine and called themselves Christians and refused to read the Torah that Jesus read from that Moses read from, so they will know what his name is. I'm using Jesus because I want you to ask them what is his real name and what they don't know. They'll say his name is Jesus because the Bible said him and call him Jesus. Well, when a person gets enrolled in the police department, his name, his name may be Bill, but when he comes to your door, you say, the police are here. You don't say Bill is here. Because when he got enrolled in the police department, he became known as a policeman. 
when Jesus got anointed, he became known as the Messiah. When he set out to save the world, he became known as Jesus. What was his name? They don't know. And it's in the book. Was Christ really crucified that I'm putting out? Three volumes. So you go around and ask them, what was his name? Ask them, what is their religion? They'll say Christianity. There's no such religion as Christianity. Because Jesus didn't speak Latin, he didn't speak Greek. He wouldn't even understand the word Christos. Jesus was the Messiah. You read it right in St. John chapter 1, verse 41. You say you believe in that book. It says right in there, when Simon and he first finds his brother, they say we have found the Messiah who's being interpreted to Christ. St. John chapter 1, verse 41. He was the Messiah. So if anything, they should be calling themselves Messiah, the Messiahs, not Christians. By Jesus said in Matthew 24, many shall come in my name and say they are Christians. Or say they are Christ in a lot. I'm singling out a particular church, which is the Pentecostal. And my question is, in regards to the followers of the Pentecostal faith, where and how did you originate or originate it? And uh, do they do they actually experience what they consider the Holy Ghost? Yes. Yes, they do. Uh, experience the Holy Ghost. And Pentecost, the word Pentecost means five. It's a Jewish, you need to look at any Jewish passage you'll see Pentecost. And you'll see that it pertains to the day of, of Pentecost. Something has something to do with Jews, let me do with these churches today. They're in a world However, not only do you receive the Holy Ghost in the church of Pentecost, you can receive the Holy Ghost in the Yoruba temple in Nigeria. You can receive the Holy Ghost in a, a, temple, a, a, a voodoo temple in Haiti. You understand what I mean? You can receive the Holy Ghost right here. You can be possessed at any time. But the Holy Ghost mentioned in St. John chapter 1 as lighting down on Jesus was to arrive, was supposed to be with him forever. You understand that? Which means that you won't jump up and start bouncing around and falling on the ground and spitting, and then when the, when the sermon's over, go in your car and drive away. <laughs> if the Holy Ghost hits you, and, he, and it hits you in a way where it knocks you down on the floor, and you turn your arms up and start doing all this here, as long as that Holy Ghost is there, you're going to do that. Which means you'll end up in a hospital because they'll continue to try to do something. <laughs> They aren't going to jump and hit you and then walk out of your body. That's not what Jesus said. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what preachers are teaching. Singing, singing preachers who want to sit around in church with tambourines and sing and draw a friend because they're bored to death. Most Christian churches are more of family reunions and chicken parties than they are of truth. Preachers are supposed to be teachers. Speaking in tongues. It says in the Bible that you'll be speaking in tongues and interpretation, translation. You don't translate unless it's from one language to the next. So if someone is laying on the floor, and if nobody can translate what he's saying, he ain't speaking in no tongues, he's speaking about If it's not one of the known languages of the world, 
Paul of heaven. Now, if you want to know what languages of heaven, read your Bible. Paul, who they follow, who was a self-assigned apostle, said when he was struck down on the road that Jesus spoke to him and called him Saul. Right? And spoke to him in the Hebrew tongue. He said Saul, it says it in there, in the Hebrew tongue. So the language that speaks in heaven is Hebrew. And when the angel Gabriel came to Rasulullah Muhammad, alayhi he spoke to him and said, Isra, which is Arabic. And Arabic and Hebrew is really the same language. So the languages from heaven is Arabic and Hebrew. So if you're going to be speaking in tongues when you get the Holy Ghost, you'll be speaking in Arabic or Hebrew. You won't be going, and some gibby preacher is going to pretend he can interpret what you're saying. You're not going to be knocked on the floor and foaming and jumping around acting like some type of animal. That's not in here. Now, tell me one place in there where Jesus' disciples around him jumped up and fell on the ground. And if Jesus was the Holy Ghost, when they walked up and that man kissed him in the garden, he should have fell on the ground. Because he would have been filled with the Holy Ghost and he would have put his arms around the Holy Ghost who would have been pacified Jesus because they say he was the Holy Ghost. These are not Christians. These are clubs. <laughs> Places where people come because our people have to be in groups because we're tribal. We don't feel, you can't go shopping alone. Now. When a woman goes shopping, what she say? I'm going to call Gladys and what she goes shopping. Y'all going to say, my money, you and Gladys. <laughs> you can't go, but go by yourself. How many times do you go to a movie by yourself? A lot of people don't go to a movie by themselves. I got to find somebody. Like me, I can't go to a movie. You won't go to a movie by myself. Right? You got to tell them and tell them you're going to eat dinner. You ever sit in the kitchen with nothing? You've got you are just a tribal person who can't take away from you. And because the truth wasn't with you, you fabricated synthetic truth. Call it the old witness of Pentecostal saying the white man knew you needed it, so he just came to you. He did it all in and took your money. He knows what you mean. He knows what you mean because he studied you. <laughs> now that the truth has come, he's upset. So he said, now you have to turn the world on us and call us cults and crazy and all that. And you was in church, you know what you said? You sung a song. How many of y'all were Christians? Don't be afraid now, because you know all the young Christians. At one time, even if you followed the honor of Muhammad, before that, you was in the church sitting up there popping the tambourines. Don't be showing off there now. You know, we know each other now. We get, we're we get the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus was sent to us. We know who we are, correct? Alright. How many of y'all remember this song? Give me that old time initial. You do? Let me hear y'all sing it. Now y'all really on the spot. <laughs> let me hear Let me hear what it says. Don't be shaking, come on. You know, you know, you know that, that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. Right there. If it was good enough for. That's right. And good enough for my father. And good enough. Then it's good enough for me. That was good enough for Abraham. And it was good enough for Moses. And it's good enough for me. What is the role of the angel of death? The angel of death was referred to as Israel in the scripture. Was the angel assigned to shape the flesh of Adam in the garden. And put him in the garden. 
that he was also the angel that he sent to collect the souls of men on judgment day. Now, many people who say they died and reach the other side say they, they meet a being there who has light, who has his hand stretched forth trying to tell them to come to the other side and most of them turn around and come back here rather than going on. That being that they meet when you leave this plane, the being that meets you on the next plane is the angel of death. He's not ugly and gross and frightening. He's an angel of light who comes to meet you to take you from this state, Nephilim, into the state of Malakut, into the angelic state or the next realm, to prepare you for your own judging. So he does that with everyone? Every being that has a soul. Because there are races of people on earth who have no soul, merely a spirit. When they die, their inner body spirits roam the plane. The plane, in what they call exoplasma or vapor, they become ghosts or whatever you want to call it, they intimidate people. What's the difference between a spirit and a soul? Good question. In the original language, we have the word ruh. means wind. And that is soul. It has an effect on objects. Wind moves objects. You follow? Whereas nefs or nefesh in Hebrew, nefs in Arabic, means spirit. Now, the spirit is the light from the heaven. It is the skin. The soul is the emotional body, and it's the light from the earth, which you call hala or your aura. You follow that? Every living thing, including rocks, have a spirit. Everything that lives has a spirit. But, Everything that has emotional changes has a soul. Now, there are also those who assimilate emotional changes, and they practice it daily in the form of cinema, called movies. This is why back in the ancient days, when they think about the stages and Shakespeare stages, all that drama did not come out of Africa, didn't come out of India, didn't come out of the outer world, it came out of Europe. These playwrights in emulating life, in emulating emotions, which may sound like it's not important, but has developed into movies today of people emulating emotion. You follow? And the reason why there's no real good black actors on a scale of white actors is because black people are not good liars. To be a good actor, you have to be a good liar. You follow? Yeah. And when you watch the average black actor, you know, you watch Sidney Poitier and you say, he's a good actor. But you really can see through it, you see it as an act. You can watch certain white movies and they convince you to the point where you can become emotionally about it. You can almost cry. Well, they are acting like they have emotions. So no white people have... They have forfeited their souls. Now, this does not include people all the way down to certain Italians, Jews. Certain these people are the black seed. They better remember it, though. They don't want to admit that they're black. They have mixed in. They are the part of the lost tribe, some of them. Not all of them, some of them. And you don't know who they are, and I'm not going to sit out and pick them out. So they'll let us know when they're ready to come home who they are. Who was this avatar by the name of Sri Sai Baba? I think that's what his name was. There's several Sai Babas. There's Sharti Sai Baba, and there's such a Sai Baba. 
Shirti Sai Baba was a Muslim and a master in India who was trying to bring them away from the Hindi faith. He said he would incarnate again. And another man who calls himself such a Sai Baba professes to be that incarnation. But we have proof that he's not. Because A, he tells them that the man that was before him, Shirti Sai Baba, was indeed a Muslim who lived in a mosque. Correct? And as a Muslim, you know where in the world could you comply with the Hindu faith. Not with its thousands of gods and idols and statues. There's no compromising for that. Any master of the spiritual world knows the invalidity of any statue on earth. Even man, in a physical sense, is almost not important, let alone a statue. So, such a Sai Baba is a self-acclaimed avatar where Shirti Sai Baba was a real Ila Mutajetida, is what the real word of it is. Okay? The man that you see in India walking around in an orange jellabia, that's not nobody but an impersonator. And if you read enough history, you find there's about 50 of them in India saying the same thing. Saying that they produce Rabuti, as they call it, and saying that they materialize things. There's whole lots of them there. And that's because the people of the Hindu faith belong to the religion of Satan. They have power to do things. Don't underestimate the power of Satan. Don't think every time somebody levitates or makes something materialize, you got to be righteous, because that's not true. Satan himself was an angel of self-grace. I want to know the world difference between an extraterrestrial being and a celestial being. An extraterrestrial being means a being who has come into this atmosphere and he's extra. He's not one calculated in the book of life according to the earth's sphere called Nasut. If he comes out of Malakut into Nasut, he is an extra being in this terrestrial environment. You understand? Yeah. I remember reading that um, an avatar, um, an avatar can come in, avatars come in succession. Like one right. spirit incarnates into a person who then incarnates into another person. Correct. And I was wondering, okay, being that, um, okay, the Holy Ghost, whoever resided in him, must have been there all the time if they sent to you from the time of birth. That, and that's pertaining to the angel Gabriel who came to Mary. Right? Uh-huh. Okay, good. But now remember that Jesus had to be moved after the order of Melchizedek. You understand that? Uh -huh. That's his next step higher than the angel Gabriel. Go ahead. I think I, I think I see where you're trying to go. Yeah. So go ahead. Okay, I'm, so it said um, when a person is born, does the avatar incarnate into him as the person grows and matures? One way he becomes Illumuti there's different ways. Oh. He can become Illumuti because the, the spirit enters into the stock, and that I explained that a man before man in Jack has a stock, travels up a spinal cord and you go to the brain and get the charge. Uh -huh. he, they can do it at that point. They can come into a person when they're dying 
at the moment a person gets into a car accident, a car crash, they're about to die, another spirit can take that body and that person will survive and be a different being. Many different ways that spirits get into the body. But it's how, it's a certain resistant state that the human body has to be at to make themselves vulnerable to possession. And then when the spirit incarnates into that person, then that person becomes an avatar? It depends. If that avatar is a teacher or just an unembodied spirit, if the spirit becomes into them as from a railway as a teacher, then that person will go about teaching. If it's just an unembodied spirit, anything could happen from possession to demonic possession to sicknesses, anything. The world we're talking about is much more sensitive than just the one thing that avatar, some angelic being comes down and takes the body and boom, the person becomes a teacher. More to it than that. So then what do they mean by avatars come into session? Who's they? I mean, nothing. What does it mean when it's well, all in its way? Because the word avatar is not as important as people like to make it. And the word avatar, or like I said, Elamutajestidus, is no more than the awakening of a supreme being in an individual. He realizes that he is one with the Creator at that time. You follow that? Mm -hmm. That's nowhere near as important as. Mikhail or Michael or Gabriel incarnating a conscious spirit who have been teaching for centuries, as you know them, mm -hmm. which is a much higher position. Uh, a person can be a man, become an avatar, develop into an angelic being by being steered or tutored by an angelic being. But if he has an avatar in him, if he has a spirit, a divine spirit in him, then it's easier for him to be taught by angelic beings than he would if he didn't have it. He becomes a more accessible medium than if he's just a person who gets premonitions. Whereas so Jesus was a person who didn't get premonitions, the spirit was in him. So to understand divine powers from the Father through him was quite simple. Whereas other people who would get Flashes of the divinity, Muhammad person, would receive these spiritual impressions or emotions. You see? Oh, yeah. Um, I have a small question. Is it possible for more than one avatar to enter into the same being? Yes. When I speak to people over a period of years, as you all know, different voices come from me. Sometimes different accents come from me. Because I am a being that has allowed myself to be utilized by being much older. I don't even want to say centuries, that's not enough. So that you can get answers of things that you've never had answered before. Okay? So I'm a being that allows myself to be utilized by other beings. And I have the power to control wicked beings so they can't take my body. Other people who become mediums who allow themselves to be a vessel from which spiritual beings from other realms speak, sometimes make the mistake of opening up and getting possessed, and it makes them kill themselves. Mm -hmm. So the answer to your question is yes. Oh, uh, uh, I was reading the book of Job, chapter 38, verse 32, and I just want to ask this question about the verse. This is where a lot of asking Job. Canst thou bring forth Nazareth in his season, or canst thou guide Arcturus with his sons? I'd like to know if it's possible who they are. Turn to the book of Amos, 5-8. Alright? Book of Amos, 
creation. What we refer to as good and evil came out of willpower, not out of the act of good and evil, but the right to make this, uh, decisions and self-determination. When the Almighty, Supreme, not Supreme Being, Supreme Being are people. Supreme, when the Supreme uh, Creator of the Universe created a being and gave him willpower, self-determination, that he may be, as the Quran says, Khalifa al-Arda, the, the successor in the earth. Man's self-determination bred evil. The right to say no. The right to make our own decisions. When in the Quran, when we're speaking about Malaik, the angels of Allah Ta'ala, we're speaking about beings that say, Subhanaka, glory be to you, we have no power of our own. We saw that we have no knowledge except what you taught us. Nothing they could do was of their own willpower. But this new being, this new mortal being, man, was going to be endowed with self-determination, willpower, so that he can be a governor, like the scriptures say. Someone who would keep the garden, kill this, and do this, and do this, and do this. So he had to have self-determination. He had to be able to make decisions. And in making decisions, one of the decisions he made was to do what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, and how he wants to do it, why in your Bible uh, Allah Ta'ala had to come back and say, didn't I tell you not to do such and so? We have God-like qualities in us. We have the presence of the Almighty in us. A little different but from the same track what the brother was saying when he says Allah does not come down in a man. I don't think he means it to the fullest. Allah does come down in a man insofar as Allah is inside every man because he said he breathed his spirit into every being, and beings became living souls. So if the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, per se, says that Allah came in the person of Master Fraud Muhammad, there's no argument with Allah coming in the person of Master Fraud Muhammad, just like the Christians say that the Holy Ghost in the book of St. John lighted on Jesus, and he was filled with the Holy Ghost, and it abided with him. That's the same thing as Allah came into the personage of Jesus Christ. And, they, and when they say the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, was in a cave, and the angel appeared to him in the form of light and embraced him, and then he was in the Quran, Alam Nafas, that his chest was expanded. And then it says, We gave you light, we gave you this. Muhammad was filled with the Holy Ghost, and so can you be filled with the Holy Ghost. But being filled with the Holy Ghost means to give yourself fully over to the command of the Almighty, which Jesus therefore interprets as people who believed on his name and became known as sons of God. Those are people who no longer live by the flesh, nor by blood, nor by the will of man, but by the will of the Father. Those become known as supreme beings on earth, as opposed to mortal beings. So man's willpower is what great evil. Man's desire to take the fire, and not use it to warm himself, or to light the channel to educate himself, but to burn something. That's our own decision. The fire is not evil. 
It's what we do with the fire that determines whether the fire becomes good, or even we can cook food with it, or we can burn our house down with it. Depends on the character. So it's man's mortal instinct and his self-preservation laws that has led to evil. And so amongst the angelic beings, when they say angelic beings, they're talking about intellect. Okay, so in, in all general, man is just fighting against himself. You man think? is fighting his own, the man of the Trinity. Every man of the Trinity. And this Trinity is composed of three different beings. Can you tell me, um, what do we think? What are you speaking of? The Bible? I'm talking, are you speaking of words of the Bible or are, you, or are you speaking in words of the Quran? There's no difference in the Bible or the Quran. They're all coming from the same Creator, whose, whose religion really is love. I understand okay, that, yeah. and I, I agree with that, but I thought that um, in the Quran it teaches you to uh, uh, to discard the, Bible. the uh, Christian belief of Trinity. There is no such thing as Christians, first of all. Let's establish that. There is no such thing as Christians. There are people who are calling themselves something that Jesus never even heard of. There is no such thing as Christians. Really. In the Holy Quran, Muslims have translated the Quran and they added the word Christian, and that's not even in the Quran. The word in the Quran is nothing, which is the same word in the Bible for Nazarite. The people that Jesus was talking about in, in the book of St. John, when he said, I came to my own, right? But my own received me not. But as many as do receive me, I give them power to become the sons of God. He's not talking about the whole world. He's talking about the children of Judah who resided in the city of Nazareth, because that's where most of his fathers came from. Most of his fathers came out of Galilee, which is next to Nazareth. You follow that? And that word Nazareth in the Quran is nothing, meaning aided or helpless. But the point is, there is no such thing as Christian. Because you walk up to a Christian and ask a Christian, what is his religion? He can't tell you. If you walk up to a Jew and ask a Jew, what is his religion? He can't tell you what his religion is. Christianity is not a name of religion. Christianity came from the word logos, from the Greek word, which is that Christos, meaning spirit. And they took and said the spirit and put the, the spirit on it and became known as Christianity. If you turn Christianity backwards, you hear, you'll see the word is really anti-Christ, Christianity. So this is something fabricated by people that oppose the teachings of Jesus, the Messiah, which they say in the Bible in 40, that Simon found Jesus, him and his brother found Jesus, who was identified as a Messiah and called him the Messiah. If all these are things that are taking place where they started transforming a teaching that Jesus had, which was the teaching of Israel, which if you walk up to a Jew and you ask him the same question, what is their religion? They can't tell you. What is the, what is the name? They say Judaism. Judaism is not a name of religion. What was their religion? Their religion was Islam. How do you know? But Jesus said, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. But they said because the children of God. That is the Bible. Right? And also, he said, as many as believe on my name, they shall be called the children of God. So therefore, those people that believe on his name who are called children of God are also called the peacemakers. If you say peace in Arabic, you get the word Islam. If you say peace in Hebrew, you get the word Shalom. Shalom and, and Salam is the same word. So when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called the children of God. Jesus was saying, in his language, Blessed are the Muslims. The word Muslim from Islam meant one who is of Salaam. The state that every prophet came to teach people they should be in. A state of peace and love and harmony. So Jesus was indeed a Muslim by religion. If you ask a Christian, what is their religion? They say, our religion is Jesus. Our religion is Christianity, Christism. 
Yes, a Jew, what is religion? Our religion is Judaism. Ask the Muslim what is his religion, and he says Islam, and I acknowledge Jesus, Moses, Muhammad, and Abraham, the father of us all. We will continue with the man of the hour, Dr. Malachi Z. York, the reformer for this day and time, right after these messages on WGAG Radio. All Eyes on Egypt presents the Holy Tablet, backed by popular demand. Written and transcribed by Dr. Malachi Zodok-Yoke-El, the receiver. This is the scripture that is divinely inspired that will bring about a long overdue change. Like the phoenix bird rising up out of its ashes. Up, you mighty people, come forth like Lazarus from the tomb. This tablet is food to feed the hunger and to nourish the soul, to give it strength. Rise up, stand up, be counted amongst the people of this world. Be the first to get your copy of the Holy Tablets while supplies last. At All Eyes on Egypt, Monticello, Georgia, 706-468-2319. Tune in to the El Holy Tablet Show every Friday and Saturday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on WGAG Radio. Look at the People always debated, who's the greatest player of all time? Dumb question. It should be, who's the greatest team of all time? WGAG Radio. Sorry, Showtime. WGAG Radio. Back to back. WGAG Radio. First three P. WGAG Radio. Even with the flu. WGAG Radio. No push-off. WGAG Radio. And my favorite... Tough to beat that. What? You think there's someone else? Prove it. Now welcome back to the man of the hour. Is it true that we are able to capture the devil if by acting righteously and being more positive, he, we would lure him into a trap? Yes. That's the only way to defeat the devil is to trap him. You won't destroy him because he's an angel. You can trap him. And the bait is your righteousness. Not your imitation of righteousness or betrayal of righteousness, but sincere righteousness. He is attracted to this city that we're trying to set up of peace. He has no need of, of the waste in his feet because he controls them. They don't realize it, whether they call themselves Muslims or not. They just don't know he controls them because they don't know who he is. They don't know his approach, right? What he cannot, what he was never able to do is in the time of the Prophet Nabi Musa, alayhi salam, Moses, had set up an ark of the tabernacle. And that's the thing the devil wanted to get. And that's why they had cherubim, two cherubim with folded wings on the ark of the tabernacle. with the cherubim who after the fall, became aiding, aiders of the seraphim, became protectors against their own host, the flaming sword, as they call it, which are using a medical symbol. All right? So, yes, the only way is to capture him and bind him, but he's attracted to righteousness. He knows that he has the world. He has everybody that you basically see on a day-to-day basis under his control who have their own opinion without any point. They have just own their own philosophy, what they think the truth is, without any real knowledge. I've come to find out, especially uh, Americans, Caribbeans, people like that, when you talk to them, they got all this philosophy, and you ask them, hey, look at the, the manaphy, 
in which language do you get this meaning? The devil's language, English. They interpret from the translation of the Yusuf Ali Quran or the King James Bible, and they'll come in and quote to you as if they found some philosophical truths or some English translation of the Kabbalah or the Kabbalah, you know, something, some devil wrote, and here they got this new divine interpretation flowing to them, and they justify by saying, it's not what language is, what's in your heart, etc., etc. The devil loves all that. He, lo he loves all those philosophers and those teachers and those scholars who have no real knowledge because they didn't take the time to toil into learning the languages of the scriptures so they can see what it was said in Hebrew and in Aramic and in Arabic. They come up in English and a sprinkle of Pakistani and in Bingo, they're scholars now, and they're Sheikh this, and Haji this, and Molana this, and Hafiz this, etc. And the devil loves all these imams. He loves these people, because these people are just what he wants. This is why we've made, over the years, many predictions that came to pass. Many of them. I mean, unbelievable predictions from a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, and sometimes year-to-year basis that came to pass. And the devil has never made a public spectacle. They're not going to let Imam Isa get in the limelight because they know that if I sat on a podium, they couldn't bring nobody, be he Jew, Christian, atheist, against me to stand against the truth. Because they print read the books. And by reading the pamphlets the same way you do, they're saying, this man here is dangerous. Or to, to attack them verbally and make him have to go before a council and defend himself, he'll make us look stupid. They know I can get up and make them look stupid, so they can't have that. You follow? So he's the devil is deeply attracted by our community, the people inside, not the people outside, who tell people they're with us, but they're not with us. They're not inside the gates of the tabernacles, and they're not with us. I don't care how much they say they're Ansari. They don't have the blessings of the sensula of the, of the prophet or the mahdi, because they have not picked up the cross and suffered with us. It's like people say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but they're saying they're following of Jesus from another city. I follow Jesus, but they won't travel to the city and sit down and sup with him and break bread because they can't get along with each other. I don't like this brother. I don't like this person. I don't like this. I can't live like this. I can't eat this. You know, all these same people say in the back of their mind, if I could only get to the mystical schools and study in the pyramids and learn the esoteric knowledge, and then they're worried about how much butter they have on their bread. Same person in the same breath who's professing to be so mystically inclined and so interested in the esoteric knowledge of Islam can't even suffer living amongst a bunch of brothers and sisters of his own. So it's a bunch of hypocrisy. So the devil's greatest strength and asset is A, the people don't know who he is, and he doesn't have to make an attempt to get black people because they go right to him and give their souls to him by imitating him and emulating him and dressing like him and working for him and living in his way of life. So the devil don't need to attempt you people. You're just giving yourselves right to him. Only time you're going to defeat the devil is when you defeat everything he stands for. Turn against everything he's about. And then, like Job, if you read it, he'll turn his attention to you. Because then the Lord can say, like in Job, yeah, the devil said, I'm walking to and fro in the earth in Job 1. And what does the Lord say? Have you considered my servant Job? He does everything right. Well, if you're sitting there saying, there's more I can improve on, I still got a smoking habit I have to get over, I don't dress like an Ansar yet, I don't do, I'm a, then you're not a Job. 
The devil is not concerned with you because he already has you until you become Job and the Almighty from heaven can say, according to the laws of the scriptures, that man is a righteous man. He or that woman is a righteous woman. She's living according to my scriptures, Satan. What about that person? Try to judge me by a woman who don't see her physical beauty over her spiritual beauty and she covers her body and her face. And wants to raise her children in truth and out of it. Try to judge me by the man who wants to wear the white jello beer and the tabia every day and prostate and doesn't want to work for the devil. Check that person out. Check out Job. Forget all about Nicodemus, which is the person who came to Jesus and said, I would follow you, but I have a good job. <laughs> I'm not ready to follow you because I have a good job yet. And Paul who said, who persecuted Jesus and persecuted Jesus and persecuted Jesus. And then once Jesus was gone, then went and wrote his own books and took Jesus' teachings and turned it into what he calls Christianity. This is what you look at when you look out into a newcomer's class there. You see brothers and sisters there who want to be partially righteous. But the Almighty said, because of your partial righteousness, only part of you can get in paradise. You'd be a very unhappy spirit. You want to be partially righteous, but you want to get... 100% of you in paradise. It doesn't work that way. Either you are all right, or you are not right at all. All right, or you are not right at all. You must dress right, walk right, talk right, pray right, do right. The devil can't tempt you. Any people who wear flickering clothes can walk from a mosque into a church into a bar, and nobody can question if a woman tried to walk into a bar with a veil on, that's where everybody in the bar would be intimidated by her presence, etc. So the answer to your question is, yes, you can trap the devil, but he's attracted to righteousness, not evil. He doesn't need to go to clubs and discotheques and stuff. He's attracted to righteousness. He wants the people that have made the transition. And this is why a lot of you brothers and sisters in there, the moment you start to make your intentions to become an Ansari, Doors start opening up for you in the world that never opened before. Jobs that you were trying to get. People you haven't heard before start calling you. Things that you wanted to do seem to come. Money starts coming. Everything starts to happen. The devil sees you going towards the lost of what the Allah was available. Then he says, I want that soul. And he sets out to get you. In most cases, he makes offers. He gives you a raise in your job or a better position, more money. Family starts contact, your friend comes from out of town, you meet a new girl, or a bunch of new things start happening, and the devil usually gets, he wins out. But he never beat Job. He beat Job's wife and his friends, but he never beat Job. And everybody in there got to look at themselves as, as the Job, not as his friends. Don't do what your friends do. Don't let your friends prolong you from coming in. Because your friend is telling you he's going because the Quran teaches you that everyone is going to be judged as individuals. Don't let your husband keep you from coming in. Don't let your wife keep you from coming in. If she doesn't want to come in, you do the same thing Job did. You leave her and Allah will provide you with a fresh family. It may be painful, but it couldn't be any more painful than Abraham waiting 90 years to get his first son. And then the Almighty asked Abraham to sacrifice that son after 90 years of waiting. Now that's taxing on the soul. Or a lot who went through all this with his wife, and then when they got ready to leave the wicked city of Sodom, and he said, don't turn back to it, don't go back, don't call your mother in the streets, don't stay in contact with people still in Sodom. All of these stories are what we live today again. These are stories of symbols of us. Don't let people harden your heart. You make the move. Because you will be judged as an individual before the Almighty because you did not come into the world with the person that you're married to or socialized with. And when you leave, you'll go out. Unless you all get smashed in a car together, 
you're going to go out the world at different times. Even if you get smashed in the car together because of vibrating at different rates, you still ain't going to end up at the same place at the same time. All right? Yes, I had one more part to that question. And that is, if we are able to capture the devil by being more righteous and trying to practice being more positive, then is it going to prolong the time that we have to try to get the mission that we have to do here together? The moment the devil is captured, don't you realize that the souls and the minds of everybody in the world would change? Because what the devil has going for him is that he's into the souls and the minds of everybody in the world, coercing them into his way. The moment the devil is trapped, like when Solomon trapped the devil, his kingdom flourished. The moment the devil got loose, Solomon's temple was destroyed. You understand? The moment the devil is captured, there is no more mission. That is the ultimate mission. True One thing that I never understood was in terms of the Garden of Eden. Eden. In Eden. In Garden of Eden. That's the trick they use in the Bible. Okay. The Christians don't think it's Garden of Eden when they should be saying the Garden in Eden. And that's, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to hold you back too long, but I'm going to tell you why. Because it says we created the man Adam and placed him in our garden, eastward in Eden. And then they show you in the Bible that he was created in a Python and a Geisen River, which is in Sudan, coming down into Ethiopia. And to go eastward to, from that would be in a Mecca, Saudi Arabia. So they have to admit that Adam was created in Africa and put in Arabia. <laughs> and they're not going to do that. So they got to put him up in Iraq somewhere. And so he was created the garden of Eden was up in Iraq where the Turkish are. Go ahead. Okay, because then I would probably explain. I never understood why when Canaan left, he went to the land of Nod. And I always wondered who were the people of Nod and where they come from. That's a very good question, right? The word Nod from Hebrew, that means to be beholded or wilderness. Now, what's missing is if you go to this point in Revelation, the 12th chapter, 7, 6, and 8 verse. Uh-huh. We're going to come up with an angel called Michael. Right. And this angel Michael had a host of angels under him. And they fought against a symbol called the dragon, who had a host of angels under him. You follow? Right. Mm-hmm. And, they were, and the host one to eight. Michael prevailed. So the righteous angel Michael prevailed over the wicked angel. Okay? Now, who was this dragon says? The great dragon was cast out. Who was that old serpent? Now, that means there's a new one. Okay? okay. That old serpent called, past tense, E.D., called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. Now, what was he done? What did they say? He deceived the whole world. And then what? And was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. That's who the people of God were. And I'm going to prove it to you. Because if we follow the Bible line, we come to Cain and Abel, right? right. And Cain slew Abel. So there was nobody else but Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel. Right. And now Cain slew Abel. And there was nobody else on the earth then. And then Cain went over to the land of Nod and found beings there, people right. there. Right. Right. Now where did these people come from? That's my question. That's your question. It's simply answered in, in that. Genesis. I'm going to show you how it happened in Genesis, chapter 6. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them. Right? Mm-hmm. 
that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. Fair is not the light skin. In this case, fair is the Hebrew word Jamal or the Arabic word Jamil, beautiful. And took them for wives all that they chose. Then he said, concerning the angels of these spirits, headed by one, and the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man or be with man, for he is also flesh. Yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty. Then he goes on to say, And it was giants in the earth in those days. Now we've established several things. One is that there was only Cain, Abel, and Seth. And now some other people. We also established that God, as he's called here, sent his son down to earth to marry into the family of Cain, right? And there were giants in the earth in those days. The word giant is Jephthah or Nathalian. Big creatures, not in size now. We're talking about the, and okay, what happened about the giants? And it was giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, after the giants were here, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of man, they brought children, so they separated these giants from the sons of God. These giants in the earth are your 200 fallen angels who fell from grace with Lucifer. And they inhabited the land of Nod, where Cain eventually went and died. And Seth, who married his... Because remember, a woman has two mammary glands for a reason. Meaning but to breastfeed. Every other mammal has the amount of mammary glands necessary for the amount of sprouts they give. They have six, they give off six litter. Women have two, she was supposed to give off male and female children, because it said, produce after your kind. He wasn't talking to Adam, he was talking to Adam and Eve. So a woman was supposed to give birth to twins. But now, of course, our genes are messed up, the air is messed up, the food is messed up, and we don't, we're weaker. We also live to be hundreds, hundreds of years then, which we don't no longer. So the people of Nod were the fallen angels who came down into earth and married with the daughters of Cain. And then the sons of God, the twenty and four elders who sat around the throne mentioned in Ezekiel as well as in Revelation, they were the ones who came down with Michael, who was the ancient of days standing in the center of them from which Jesus went and got the scroll. Now why do they say that that's Michael, who Jesus got the scroll from, was Michael and Hebrew Mikhail, the same as Mikhail Sadek, which is a translation from Meli Sadek or Melchizedek, who it says in the books of Hebrew, Jesus was after the order of him, and he was after the order of the Most High in Hebrews 5. So this ancient of days is the one who was with Abraham, with Moses, and with Jesus, called Melchizedek, or the angel Michael. You follow that? Yeah. King of Salaam, by the way. I always thought that it was God that was with them all. But it speaks of, in Abraham's time, he said, it just the Lord and two angels. You follow that? Who came to Sarah and Hagar, when he was at the tent, and told him to go down to the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, but the Lord returned, they say, right in the Bible of Genesis. But the word Lord in the scripture is the same as Rabbi, Rabbi, or Sayyid, or Noble. This angel was the same angel who met Ibrahim on his journey, it says, and he broke bread with him and drank wine. That's the same one. And they called him in that case Melchizedek. They named him the second time they talked about him. 
And then Abraham went down there by himself, but the angel didn't go with him. Like he didn't at the tent. You follow? So they're confirming that the angels became with three, and one of them was called the Lord, who was Melchizedek. Why they call him the Lord? Because he's after the order of the Most High, because he blew says. And they find that this name Melchizedek is here with Abraham, later down in the Bible with Moses, then later down in Revelation with Jesus. He was definitely the ancient of days. Without beginning, without end. He was here because he was an angel over all the angels in the form of Michael, who when he came into the flesh became known as Melchizedek, who Jesus says in Revelation 1, he's going to send him in his image. The people are waiting for Jesus to come, and Jesus makes it very clear that he's going to send his angels, not himself, in Revelation chapter 1, let's read it. The revelations of Jesus the Messiah, which the Lord gave unto him, to show unto his servants, Things which must shortly come to pass. And then what did he say? And he, talking about Jesus, but that's who his subject's on, sent what? And signified it by his angel, by his angel unto his servants. Jesus didn't do it himself. Jesus sent an angel who was Michael, who people would think is Christ, in his place. He is the one that they're getting confused for Jesus and earth. Jesus told his disciples, you see me, now, yet I leave and I come back and you see me no more. Right. And he's like, what are you talking about? He said, you'll see me, but you'll never see me again in the body. You'll see my flesh, but you must believe that the Messiah is in the flesh because Corinthians says that all of you are Messiahs, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. Because as many of you have believed on me, them too I give the power to become the sons of God, it says in St. John chapter 1. I'd like to know, what is the relationship between the Holy Quran and the Bible? They're saying that the same question would be, how does the Old Testament and the New Testament relate to each other? You see? And the Holy Quran is the last testament that Jesus spoke of in Revelation as that little book. So it's the, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the last testament. The Holy Quran, that's it. They all make up one scripture from the same arm, same creator. We, the Quran uses talks about Jesus more than anybody else. It mentions Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the tribes, the families, Sodom, Gomorrah, God, may God, Lot, Joseph. It covers all those people in the Bible. It's just a continuation of what was in the previous scripture. And it says that it's the last one. Okay. At the end, I believe, of the Bible, yes. um, it states in Revelation, like the last page. The last, very last page of Revelation 22. Yes, it states that nothing should be added or taken away. Or taken away. From this, it says in 19, if any man shall take away from the word of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from those things which are written in this book. Right? Now, what they're saying is when this revelation of Jesus was finished, then nobody should have added or taken away from it. You understand? The Holy Quran says the same thing. In the first, the difference is that's the last chapter here. And in the open Holy Quran, it says, in this scripture, there is no doubt it is a guidance for those who have feared their money. You see that? So this is not talking about no books would come after it. It's saying, don't 
distort this book. And that's exactly what Paul did. Remember, all those books that Paul wrote, and Paul wrote 90% of the books in the New Testament, came after this book. He added another book. And all that is the Galatians, the Hebrews, the Thessalonians, all those books he wrote after this book was complete. And that's the doctrine that the Christians are living out of. The okay. doctrine of Paul. Well, why is the Holy Quran and the Holy Bible, why are they two separate books? Why is the Old Testament and New Testament two separate books? I'll tell you why. Because the Old Testament, which is the five books of Moses only, came to Moses. And then after Moses, you get a bunch of other prophets, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Amos, who received other books. You follow? And then you got the book of Revelation when Jesus came. And then you got the Quran. But they collected the books after Jesus and put them, the two books together. The old, that's why you call it the Old and New Testament. And they made them one book. And they did not want to put the Quran in there. Because the Quran reveals too many truths about things that does not include them. The devil it clears up all these misconceptions that they make about this Bible. Thank you. Mm -hmm. They're all the same scripture. Don't let them fool you. They're all, you have to read the Quran and know that. When you read it, you see it. They're all the same text. If a person were to become a Muslim, would they have to um, stop going to church and stop attending services and things like that? Well, if a person becomes a Muslim, then they have, a, they have to start practicing according to the religion of Islam, which is the religion of Jesus. Christians are not in church. They're creating, again, they've created their own religion. And their services are, here's a perfect example. Show me somewhere in the New Testament where Jesus said to hold a mass, or Jesus said to gather on Sunday and listen to any pastor. And the format that they use for Sunday school or meet Sunday church at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock until 12, show me. It's not in there. These are things they made up. They don't even exist. But the Lord that Jesus lived with was according to the Bible. He gathered with his disciples in a synagogue on Saturday. And that's right in the Bible. And he read from the Torah. These people, if they're called Christians, are Paulites. They worship and follow Paul. And they use Jesus' name, because all the books they quote from are Paul's books. You follow? So when a person accepts Islam, you know what they've done? They completed a statement that Jesus himself made when he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And if Jesus was talking in the midst of his disciples, why was he talking in the future tense? Why did he say, Blessed are you peacemakers, you are the children of God. He didn't say that in the Beatitudes. He said, there are the peacemakers, and the word Muslim means peacemaker. So they shall, shall in future tense, be called the children of God. And in John, he says, as many of them as believe on me, to them I give power to become the sons of God. So he was talking in the future tense because the disciples all saw him. So he was not even declaring them his followers because he said that they had little faith. Oh, ye of little faith. You, you doubt, you question, you scorn me, he said. Your Bible? Jesus himself was a Muslim. Let's see what the Bible says. Revelation says Jesus' disciples dressed in long white robes. And that, of course, is the same picture that Christians put on their mother's wall. They got a picture of this man in his white robe. 
In the garden, Jesus fell on his face and he prayed. He didn't stand up or kneel down like they do in a Christian church. He fell on his face and he prayed. Correct? Jesus being of the house of David, followed the words of Moses, therefore in the book of Leviticus, chapter 11, verse 7, where it says, do not eat pork. That means Jesus did not eat pork. Whenever you ask a person to quote Jesus, they put out red marking that Paul said Jesus said. It's very easy for me to take a book and write it and then put things in it and make these things red and say, these are what Jesus said after he's gone. Why is it that the book of Revelation does not read like any of the other books then? It reads totally different. Information in the Revelation of the birth of Jesus doesn't even match the book of Matthew. Because it speaks of then a woman being in the wilderness, traveling to give birth, and the dragon and the beast is out to get her. That's what the Revelation says about the birth of Jesus, according to the Christians. Right? But on the Christian Matthew's Christmas story, they say it was in a manger, and wise men came. Two totally different stories about the birth, right in the New Testament. The book of Revelation has a different whole story about the birth of Christ. Let's try to look it up. Okay? Revelation chapter 12. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head were crowns of twelve stars. And she being with child, travailing to birth, pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in the heavens, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail threw a third part of the stars of the heavens, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to give birth, which was ready to deliver, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where... She had a place prepared of God that they should feed her. There are thousands. Thank you. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon. But the point is, well, let's go on over, because it's going to go on to that. Let's go to the women's faith again. Let me go to 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of the testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Therefore, unto us, therefore rejoice ye heavenly, and ye that dwell on the earth, will to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows that he had but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast onto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of the great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and time and a half from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. 
and the dragon was with, with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of the seed, which keep the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Here we read in Revelation chapter 12 a whole different story about Jesus' birth. They don't mention nothing about no manger, they don't mention nothing about no wise men, they don't mention about no oils, no incense, no frankincense, no male, no veil. It mentions this woman running into the wilderness to give birth and a dragon after her who was trying to drown the baby waiting for Jesus to be born so he can kill him. And if you go back and read the story of the birth in Matthew, you get this whole Christian story. You understand? But the difference is the book of Matthew, and let's go back to Matthew 1 and see who Matthew is by. Matthew, of course, was by Matthew. Go to Matthew 1 and read exactly what it starts off with. The gospel according to who? Matthew. The book of the generation of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham got Isaac, etc., etc., etc. It's going to go all the way down to 18. Now the birth of Jesus was on this wise. When as his mother was his spouse to Joseph before they came together, she was found with the child of the Holy Ghost. Who was the child by? The Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, if you read on, the whole story of Jesus' birth is totally different. Now in two, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, it will tell you, there came, this is uh, chapter 2 of course, I'm at there. There came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is that king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now that story is going to be totally different, right? That story is one story. Now let's go back to Revelation. Because in the beginning of John, we know that's by. Now let's do what Revelation says in the beginning. Revelation of Jesus Christ to St. John. You see the difference? One they claim is Jesus Christ's revelation. The other they claim is a gospel according to Matthew. Now how do we confirm that? Revelation 1 now reads, the revelation of who? Of Jesus Christ, which... God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which will shortly come to pass. So now which book should we believe? The one that's according to Matthews or the one that's according to Jesus? According to Jesus, of course, right? So the whole Christian concept of how Jesus was born and Christmas and Easter and all those holidays, you might be just so the words that Paul and those people made him up because they didn't have no laws. Jesus was a Muslim. When you become a Muslim, then you are doing what Jesus did. You learn how to fall on your face and pray. You learn what he said, why he said it, and how it complies to the laws of Moses. And there's no difference. The law never changes. Okay, I did ask it because um, I enjoy going to uh, some parts of church, like singing, and I like also musician. I like playing piano, etc. So I was, I was feeling a conflict with that because I know you don't do those, do those things. Yes, we do. See, in the Islamic faith, you see, what has happened here in America is a lot of Muslims don't have Islam as it was taught by the Africans, Abraham and Kush and Midrash, the real descendants. We had circles that we used to perform, vicar in. We have it mentioned in the book of Psalms, where we David sang and strung the instruments, and it sung praise of the Lord. 
We have we a Muslim do it. It's these new modern Muslims who are controlling the Muslim mind, got them thinking that that don't exist. We have a zikr in Islam where we chant, we sing the praise of Allah. We have certain instruments that are played at these chants. We also have play high-pitched instruments because they like fruits and stuff because they stimulate certain negative energy. But we have drums and tambourines and we have certain lutes and different string instruments and certain instruments that you blow into woodwinds and such. And a piano is something that came from Islam. So there's nothing against it. But how do you listen to it? Listening to the song that does is another thing. But music that's singing the praise of the Lord is, is nothing for business. Gospel is a part of us. What I already God's been. They can if they know how. That's because there's a lot of people in the streets, let me tell you, there's a lot of people in the streets that do the same thing to us that they did to Jesus. They just go out lying to people so people won't come here. And they make up all kind of lies and stories, and if people only come here and ask us, they see, they see different than that. They have, that's because they, a lot of Muslims, especially the Orthodox, are afraid of the fact that we make them look bad because we came on the scene after them and we have progressed so much further than them because everything we do, we do in the name of Allah. They want to be Muslims on Friday and work on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday. They ain't Muslim and working in the bank and working in the world scene, working in the stock market, but then profess to be working for Allah. And we say that that's wrong. Drop your nets and become fishes of men. Spend your life in the way of the Mosai trying to bring people home to the faith. And they call us wrong. And they say we were crazy. And we'll never survive, etc., etc. And that we have blood sacrifices, and that Imam has a hundred wives and fifty thousand kids. They got all kind of stories that they make up just to make people not come here. The truth is what brings y'all here. Because while they're talking, you come across one of those pamphlets, and you start reading, and you say, I got an eye to go ask myself. And that's a gift that people have from the Almighty called Will that makes you make the decision to come here and act. Ask the brother, for the time you spend talking about the answer of Allah, you could be studying the Quran. Do you read out of it fluently? No, then the time you're talking about that, you could be somewhere studying, trying to get your soul together, instead of throwing rock. You know what Jesus said about that? Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. You know there'll be no rock stone if I said that? If I said to everybody in there, let somebody in there who's never ever sinned and still not sinned, you get up and, and testify against people. Nobody in there could do it if they're honest. And if they get up, they'll be stopped. That'll be the first sin. When they get up and try to pretend they're so righteous, they they've never sinned. Right. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Assalamu alaikum. Um, Imam, I have a very uh, difficult question to put to you. <laughs> Who's it difficult for? The question or the questionnaire? Uh, it's supposed to be for the questionnaire, I guess. You think it's difficult for me? Uh-huh. You're insulting me. No, no, I'm not going to try, Ma. Go ahead, let me hear This is the question. Are the children of Israel no more? Wow, that was difficult. <laughs> I'm only having fun. Are the children of Israel no more? Yes, Ma. Yes, the children of Israel are no more in the sense that everybody saved the lost sheep of the house of Israel, meaning Judah remained. But Judah refused to allow themselves to be referred to as Israel. They took the tribe of Dan, and Dan moved in with them when they migrated south and went into Ethiopia, 
tribes stayed in Sheba, where, which was uh, down in Idlib, point of Saudi Arabia. They later migrated into Ethiopia and became known as the Danakul tribe. The Danakul tribe is the one that Bilal, Redilah, and who comes out of. So there was, when Jesus came, he didn't say he was looking for Israel. He said he was looking for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, which is the tribe of Judah. All the other tribes had perished. Okay? And okay. in Revelation, when they describe them, they only use certain names, and certain names are left out because it's a character type in the book of Revelations when they give the 12 tribes of Israel will be a part of 144,000. That is a character type because Dan is not there. They have Nephtali in there, and they have Manasseh in there. Okay, go ahead. Okay, Imam. This is the, what the verse is. This is what the scripture says in, um, this is uh, Jeremiah 33, and it reads in the 24th verse. It says, Consider if thou not what this people have spoken, saying the two families which the Lord has chosen, he has even cast them off. Thus have they despised my people, that they should be no more a nation before them. Now it continues on, and it says in the 25th, Thus saith the Lord, If my covenant be not with day and night, and if I have not appointed the utterances of the heaven and the earth, then will I cast away the seed of Jacob and David my servant, so that I will not take any of his seed to be rulers over the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will cause the iniquity to return and have mercy on them. How is this explained? Quite simply, the book of Jeremiah, which is called the number 24, written by Jeremiah, received in Jerusalem, as well as in Egypt, it was completed in the year 580 BCE, and the time period that it covered, you should be writing this down, is from 647 BCE to 580 BCE. Now why am I telling you all this about the book of Jeremiah? Because all of these things that they're speaking about in Jeremiah took place before the rebuilding of Solomon's temple under Cyrus and Darius, which was in 526. So the prophecies of Israel falling away and disappearing took place after this, you see. So when you book, read the book of Israel, you'll find that the dates of Israel, when you speak about the rebuilding of the temple of Solomon, was after Jeremiah wrote his book. So the children of Israel had went and started worshiping the god Baal, mentioned in the Quran also, after this, and have blew the covenant and fell into damnation. And the only way the seed of Israel would come up again is through the seed of Jesse to David, which was Jesus, who tried to reclaim them and give them a new covenant, which they didn't accept. Thus, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent a comforter, who was also of Judah in an indirect way, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Right, who came as the company Mu'azir to gain all the children of Israel, which is through the tribe of Judah, to Bilal, who was a Judite from Ethiopia. This is why Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, where the first place he sent his missionaries. In the story of Islam, where the first place that Muhammad sent his people, to Ethiopia. He told him to go to Ethiopia first. That was the first migration, because he had to go back there and get the staff it was in the possession of the tribe of Judah when Jacob made the covenant that the staff will not pass until Shiloh comes. 
Shiloh from Shashlam, in Hebrew Shahlam means peace. And Muhammad was this being that Jacob spoke about, and the Quran teaches us throughout, especially 2 136, that Muhammad and Jacob and all of them are the same family of Abraham. And in Holy Quran chapter 2, 130, which you should be writing down in your not, he, he says, that anybody who denies Mullah Ibrahim is a fool of himself. So the covenant was made with Abraham. You see that? And Israel and Jacob and them came out of that seed. And then out of the ten sons fell away and fell out of grace. And two, Judah and Dan were spared to carry the staff on down from Egypt, down to Ethiopia. And then Muhammad sent his delegation there to let them know that the promised Shiloh or the promised comforter was there in Arabia. And then the Ethiopian or Habashians or Abyssinians started migrating to Saudi Arabia under Rasulullah Muhammad. And the covenant was complete. So they said, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. And then the Iran was sung by Israel, right, to Judah. And that's why Bilal was chosen to be the one who would be called the Muazim because he was of the tribe of Ganako of Ethiopia, which is a combination of the tribe of Dan and Judah, where the line would raise again. So Israel came back to glory in the Quran because the Quran is a continuation of the Torah and the application of Moses' law. And then out of Muhammad, he says, would come the Mahdi. And the word Mahdi comes from the word, Arabic word, Mahada. Take the mean off, like you do when you say Muslim, you take the M off and you get the word peace, salam. Take the L off of Mahdi and you get Huda. You follow that? Then put a Yah on it and you get Yahuda, Judah. So the Mahdi, while he wore a shawl around his neck that had three little lines, blue lines on it, was like the tippling of Israel. The why he wore a tagir that came up to a point as opposed to a flat tagir because it was like the cusper or the yarmulke as the old Jews, the new word yarmulke is Jewish, and the cusper is a modern Hebrew, and the cusper or kuti was the ancient. Why he wore Emma wrapped a certain way with an azabah, Coming down, which you find mentioned in Solomon, Songs of Solomon goes, the Mahdi brought back in the dress code of the ancient tribe of Judah, showing that the covenant was completed, that the last day is at hand. Okay? Not really a difficult question. Recently, what most people missed on, my son, is the times of the scriptures. You see, it's very important that they know when. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent certain revelations. They don't know, because they just run out, you know, they be reading it, and they don't know when that book came, who it came to, and where was he when it came, and what were the conditions that he was living in that would affect why he wrote a certain kind of way. Because each one of the books in the scriptures is written either in a certain kind of mystical, prophetical, poetical, medical, war, and, and, and what was being written and how it was being written was being influenced, you see, by the environment. So when you talk to a lot of people who never were doing their best, their hearts are beautiful, they're trying to really learn the truth for their people, they don't know for sure. So they just say, well, in the book of Exodus, and I have to say, who wrote Exodus, where was it received, who received it, when, what period of time, how long was he living, where was he at, who was Bob 
him and what made him write it, what the Israelites do, they brought Allah, giving Moses this message at this moment, at this time. When you do that, then you're dealing with supreme mathematics. You're not just dealing with mortal mathematics, you see. And that's the difference. I try to deal with the supreme mathematics in accordance to the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants things, not the way I want them. And that's why a lot of Sunnis can't deal with me, because I try to say it the way Allah says it, not the way Muhammad or Bukhari or Shafi or Humbly or Maliki or any other scholars or the Talmud. I say the Quran says we follow Millah Ibrahim. Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran we follow Millah Ibrahim. So this is what I do until you can show me in the Quran where it says, no, I'm staying on the Surah al Mustafina. When it says in Surah Al-Fatiha, Ahdina Surah Al-Mustafina. Surat al-Ladina an'amta alayhim, qayru al-Maqdubi alayhim wa al-Dalim. When he says that, Ahdina, Ahdina, Ahdina Surat al-Mustaqim, guide us in a Surat al-Mustaqim, to the path of those who are Mustaqim, Taqwa. Surat al-Ladina an'amta alayhim, the Surat al-Ladina of those who an'amta have the ni'ma alayhim, and this is Muhammad talking. Muhammad was seen in the Surah Al-Fatiha, or Surah Al-Hamd, at the fifth point in his life. This is the fifth revelation coming to him. And he's receiving this, and it starts the first surah, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Where he's receiving this, why? And who is it talking to? If he is that prophet coming, what does he mean by Erdinas? Because he included himself in it. Guide us. Erdinas, Surah Al-Mustaqim. So the Surah of those who are taqwa. Who was he talking about? Who was Muhammad referring to? As he was there, it could have been one of those Arabs he was coming to. Who was he saying there? Erdinas, Surah Al-Mustaqim. Surah Al-Ladina and Amta Alayhim. Guide me to the Surah of those who are there. Those who have the grace on them. Who were they? They were the prophets before. He was talking about the prophets before. He wasn't talking about any school of thought that we know, Bukhari, Shafi, Hamli, Maliki, Sunni, Ahmadi, Wahhabi, or Ansari. <laughs> he was talking about the fathers. Nabi Ibrahim, Nabi Yaqub, Ayyutza, as you know, Dawood, Dawad, as you know, Musa, Moshe, as you know, Isa, Isa, as you know, Isa, Yeshua, as you know. <laughs> He's talking about those great beings called the prophets, Indian, that came Kablahu before him. You see? It's beautiful when you know it. It makes it easy to follow when you know it. When you follow the Quran, it's easy. When you get caught up in all the different schools of thoughts, that's when it starts wars and separation and divisions and opinions and ideologies and his ijman, your ijman, his fa- his fahwa and his fahwa and his and his taqwa, his and his this, his ibad and his this and his talmud, his thing. And that's what gets Muslims at war. They just stay on the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, follow the Quran al Kareem. It tells you everything you have to do from moment to moment to make it back to Jannah.
give them a little more time. Uh, I personally am in agreement. I am in agreement with those that say let it fall because after being down here and coming back and forth for long periods of time, my last incarnation being in after you tried to bomb Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945 and making contact for other brothers that come in in 1970. And from that period to now, I see physical actions where people will put on veils and men will put on jalabia and they will go and make the, the intentions of what they call salah and different things that they'll look like they're doing, but down inside the afidah, not the kabla home, but the afidah home, the inner heart is still lurking the serpent people. The, the ways of shaitan is still there as you have it. And it frightens me that it's a waste of time. I see how they poison, the, I see how you people poison the children with your ways. And women mislead their husbands and husbands mislead their wives. And to me it seems to me with all of the, the knowledge that has come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala down to this planet, by now you people would have enough iman, faith, to be able to move forward. But it doesn't seem like it goes that way here. It seems that these people here on earth have just, are just succumbed or overwhelmed by the presence of the serpent people and they worship and believe in that. And that's, to me, discouraging. So at this point, the council is quite discouraged about the, the earth and the earth people and not just you as a little group of people who were supposed to, your job was to prepare the 144,000 who would be taken up and taken to the Crystal City for that thousand year period while the serpent man or Iblis or Azazila or Tanush would be taken down into Agrata and held in the temple of Wahala and kept there for a period of time which you refer to as being taken down into the pit. And it doesn't seem like we can bait him or trap him because he's got such a great control on earth that many of the elders, including myself, are quite discouraged with the people of this earth plane, um, Ard, and it's depressing. So there, there's controversy, there's discussions that take place in the, in the galactical meetings, the brotherhood meetings, that some say give them a chance and others say let the four, when they say the four winds, by the way, that at the four corners of the earth that was supposed to fold in 1970, that is four ships that have the power to sweep, have magnetic sweeping power. They're holding this planet together with magnetism because the planet is the point where it wants to explode anyway. That's why you have so many volcano eruptions and tornadoes and falls. The planet is trying to explode because too many of the serpent people have tested toy nuclear weapons and have thrown out the atmosphere and got the axis of the planet off and the magnetic belt is all fluctuating so your weather and climate is messed. The planet is trying to explode, but there's four ships at the four corners, north, south, east, and west of it, keeping it from exploding. And others say at the meeting, withdraw the ships and let it fall. While others say, hold the ships longer because those who are the seal of the Father are trying to come out. And they ask the elders at the, at the council because new entities from other galaxies are joining in constantly into the Federation. And they ask, who were you people? They want to know, who were these people down here who have won the white? Why are we holding up the whole world and not letting it fold because of this group of people? And they answer to them, these are the ones that are supposed to be 
making themselves pure in the blood of the Lamb, what? For purifying themselves. And that's the whole thing. So the answer to your question is that most of the elders are quite vexed and quite fed up with earth people. Most of them are. But there are a few that are very powerful from certain galaxies that have a little faith in, in the earth people. Okay? Yeah. Um, I have two more questions. May I ask them? That's what the forum is for, to ask questions. Okay. And I just want to make sure I don't want to be, you know, go overboard. Um, I have two force fields exist, like, um, like in space, like barriers. Force fields do exist. Force fields are natural, and there are some force fields that are made, that are set up. NASA has programs where they launch up these toys, mm-hmm. bounce off of force fields that were created to keep the negative energy inside the Earth's atmosphere so it doesn't seep out into the universe and poison other things because you have a lot of negative energy around the Earth. It was a very positive planet, by the way. Centuries ago, when everybody used to visit this planet, right, it was a very positive place at the time. But as it goes now, many of the elders don't come here anymore because of the things that took place at a place called Yucatan. Yucatan was a meeting place where a lot of the elders came on Earth, and the serpent people invaded the Mayans, and they called them the Taltics. They invaded the Mayans and destroyed them, the Taltic people. And so a lot of people don't come here no more. So what they've done is they set up forest fields around the Earth's atmosphere, sometimes to trap the serpent people in. And the certain people are trying to get out. So a lot of their ships that they sent up explode when they get right out of your Earth's atmosphere because they bounce off some of these force fields. Understood? Yes. I was reading in the Hell book about the explanation of will. And it says that desire and discipline play a very important role in will. How does a person strengthen their will to do good? And what is willpower? In order for a person to strengthen their will, which does not fluctuate in muscles. It's there. It's a state. It's not something you can enhance or decrease. Alright? But the will is controlled by the desire to do. You understand? And when the desire to have crosses into the desire to do, then the will appears to be weakened. <laughs> الحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله واري الكريم وصلى الله على أنياء أجمعين والمسيح والمحسي والمجدد لمن مرسلين أما بعد Are we not the bearers of witness that nothing would exist if Allah didn't create it and that he is alone and has no part and that all gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the sustainer of all the boundless universes. All gratitude is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the generous eternal friend. And send salutations of Allah on all of his prophets and his apostles. And on the Messiah, the anointed one. And on the Mahdi, the God. And on the Mujaddid, the reformer. Which was all sent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We send greetings and we send peace throughout the boundless universe to all. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. The man of the hour, airing seven days a week at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on WGAG Radio.